So if you have a Bible, let's turn to John chapter 4. Verses 43 through through 54 will be our text this morning. If you have a Bible, if you're there, please stand in the reading of the word. Okay, the word of the Lord says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen that all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast For they had two gone to the feast. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at a point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, I come once again. As your humble servant, may you use me. May your people not see me or hear me, but may they see you. Holy Spirit. Please guide me and direct me. Keep me from error. Keep me from teaching false truth and false doctrine. And give your people eyes to see and ears to hear. As we conclude this wonderful chapter in the book of John. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. It is extremely cold up here. Can you please turn it down? Uh. So, and I wasn't even going to say that beginning stuff. That just. We began our journey three weeks ago in Samaria. Remember? There were. There is where we met a woman. Anyone remember her name? We didn't get her name. <laughs> you guys are probably saying, uh. Stephanie? No, we didn't, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't get her name. No. But what we know from her is she had five failed marriages and is currently living with a man who she's not married to. She's shacking up. She's an ignorant woman. She's uneducated and religiously indifferent to whatever Jesus has to say. She's in love with tradition. She's viewed by many in her town as an immoral woman. A sinner, she views herself as an outcast, but it's this woman who Jesus hiked 20 miles to go see. During the meeting, we saw this woman's hostility toward Christ, but we also saw Christ's relentless pursuit of her heart. 
He wasn't going to let this woman go. Jesus' deity was also on display because he meets a woman whom he has never met in his life, and yet he knows her entire history. When he tells her, go get your husband, and you have had five husbands, Jesus exposes the very thing that is locked up deep in the inner corners of her heart, her adulterous lifestyle, the lifestyle that she does not want anyone to know about, but yet everyone knows about. And as we got to verse 25, when the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Okay, that's the end of the conversation. She's done. She wants no more with the living water. She wants no more with the gift of God. I don't want no more of you, man. And then Jesus reveals to this woman who he is. I have got the one who you've been waiting for, the Messiah is now here. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the ones who who will take away the sin of the world is now standing in front of you. Then she immediately goes back to her town and she tells everyone to come see a man who told me my entire past. She didn't want nobody to know and, and now she's exposing it to the whole town. He told me everything. And as a result, many other Samaritans believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So it started with a conversation, and it ended in a revival in Samaria. So now Jesus is done. Jesus is done with his time in Samaria, and he has now set his eyes on Galilee. So far in the book of John, we have met many people. John chapter 1, we met John the Baptist, who was to be the forerunner, who was to pave the way that the Messiah has come. We also met the first round of Jesus' disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Chapter 3, we met a high-ranking Pharisee named Nicodemus, and him and Jesus had a really good conversation. In chapter 4, we met a sinful, adulterous woman from Samaria. And as we come to our text this evening, or this morning, we'll meet a nobleman whose son is in need of a miracle. Let's remember the main focus of Jesus right of John's writings is to unveil Christ. Amen. Is to reveal that Jesus is the promised one. That God has come for us the reader to believe that Jesus is the son of God and by faith you may have life in his name. You may have life more abundantly. You may have the everlasting life. And many come to that belief in Jesus or God in a variety of different ways. Some come to that belief by researching historical evidence that there was a man, a real man named Jesus, who lived in real time, who lived with or amongst real people. And the way and why I'm saying that is because many people don't believe that Jesus ever existed. So they look at the writings of Josephus and they look at the writings of Tacitus and people like that. So they gather information and they say, this man is who he said he was. This man is God. Some come to that belief in Jesus by examining how the whole universe came to be. Exploring the different scientific methods and, and theories and coming to the conclusion that the universe and all creation itself 
couldn't have happened by, by randomness or chance or luck. But there had to be a creator in all of this. Some come to the belief in God by trying to answer philosophical questions. Who is God? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? Where did evil come from? How do we answer the problem of evil? And others come to belief by noticing a change in their loved one's or friend's life. Maybe their brother or sister or cousin or aunts or uncle. They, they notice something different about them. They no longer swear anymore. They no longer are getting drunk anymore. They're no longer doing the things that they used to do. Or maybe some come to that belief in Christ after experiencing some sort of tragedy. Like maybe getting in a car accident and coming out of that car accident without a scratch to even tell about the car accident. And they knew that very second that there was a God. They knew that very second that Jesus was real. They knew that only a divine miracle from God could have got me out of that accident. Or maybe they experienced that through, through a loved one. Maybe, maybe they, they saw their mother in a coma. And a year later, she's out the coma. And they say only a divine miracle from God could have got her out that coma. Or only a divine miracle from God could have got my, my brother off of drugs. Only a divine miracle could have saved me from who I used to be. And as we come to our text today, we will meet a man, a man of high stature, who says in his heart that only a divine miracle from God can save my son. My son, he's, he's that bad. He's on the verge of death. He is one step away from the grave. And the father knows that. That's why he comes to Jesus. And God uses that divine miracle to not only heal the boy, but save that man's whole household. Verse 43. After the two days, he departed to Gal- for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So at this point, Jesus is finished with Samaria. He spent two days there, probably preaching the kingdom, probably talking about his death, the resurrection. And it was a successful trip. Many of the Samaritans came to the knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah and became believers themselves. And now Jesus is heading to Galilee. And boy, did the Galileans love Jesus. It's far different from when Jesus was in Jerusalem, where the religious establishment was. For there they despised him and they rejected him. But in Galilee, they, they hailed him and they loved him. But where did all this love come from? Let's go back. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 2. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. 
When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jugs there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill up the jars up with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out and take, take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine or became wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the wine, then, then the then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first sign Jesus did in Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and he stayed there for two days. So that's why they love Jesus. They got him drunk. They were, out of, they were out of wine. Where do we get wine from? So Jesus takes the water and turns it into wine. It's been exactly one year since John 2 and John 4. It's been one year since, since Jesus did that miracle at the wedding. And that's the last impression Jesus left on the Galileans. So when they saw Jesus back in their town, they welcomed him. When they heard about Jesus coming back to the town, the buzz started to get probably really crazy because they were saying, you know, Jesus is back. You remember what he did last time, right? You see, they didn't, they didn't welcome Jesus for the right reasons. You see, they saw Jesus, and when they heard about Jesus, they said, oh, here comes that miracle boy. Maybe he can, maybe he can fill up my jar, and he can give me wine. They saw Jesus, and they said, did you guys hear the circus is back in town. The show has arrived. The entertainment is here. The fair has come back. Our hometown miracle boy has come back to entertain us some more. That's how they view Jesus. We're about to see some more cool stuff. We're about to see some supernatural things. This is who the Galileans were. That's how they view Jesus. And, and surprisingly, not much has changed since those days, hasn't it? Not much has changed in, in, in the way people view Jesus since Jesus was on this earth. We hear such things as come to Jesus. He can make your life better. I talked to a girl named Sam. Who went to Valley Bible. They taught her that her whole life. Jesus will make your life better. 
Come to Jesus. Jesus can heal your sickness. Come to Jesus. Jesus can help your finances. Come to Jesus. Jesus can can heal that broken marriage. Come to Jesus. He wants to do a miracle in your life. But those aren't the reasons why you come to Jesus. You don't come to Jesus for for what he can do for you. You come to Jesus because of simply who he is. You don't come to Jesus for what he can do for you. You come to Jesus for what you can do for him. You come to Jesus because you understand your depravity. You come to Jesus because you are so fed up with yourself and you refuse to acknowledge and to associate with the person that you used to be. You have looked at yourself in the mirror and the reflection you saw disgusted you. You come to Jesus because you acknowledge that you have rebelled against God and you have broken his holy law. You come to Jesus because you acknowledge that you have fell in Adam. And there is no there is no no good deed. There is no merit that you can obtain to put yourself in a position of a right standing before a holy God. And you understand that the wrath and the judgment of God is now upon you. Eighty percent of churches in Bakersfield teach this. And if I named the pastors, you'd probably get mad at me. But that's the reality. This is Christianity now. You don't come to Jesus for these reasons. We have believers, so-called believers, who will allow men, and I'm just going to say their names, like Mr. Osteen, like T.D. Jakes, and, and like Rod Parsley, and like these, these money-hungry preachers, These preachers who just preach about the benefits you can get from Christ. They allow them to scratch their backs and to tickle their ears. And they look at everything you can get from Christ. All the benefits you can get from him. And overlooking what you now have in him. Reconciliation. A joint heir. The union that the believer has with Christ. Just like the, just like the Galileans did. That's, right. That's heresy. And 500 years ago, they would have been burned at the stake. Wow. How can Jesus make your life, your life situation better? They'll tell you that. They'll tell you Jesus wants to make your life and your whole situation a lot more better. They look off in the far distance. He can give you this. He can give you that. Then they ignore this Mount Everest of truth that Jesus took care of your situation over 2,000 years ago at Calvary on a cross. People who view Christianity that way make a mockery of the cross because they don't understand how much blood it costs for their sin to be paid for. It cost the only innocent man ever to live in history his life. That's your blessing. That's the miracle. 
You selfish, spoiled, undeserving brats had your sin paid for, had your debt paid for. That's the blessing. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. I don't, we don't need all of these other things. I don't need extra miracles. I don't need all of these, all of these things that the preachers will try to excite you with to come to Jesus. That's right, amen. Acknowledge what Jesus has done. So this man is coming to Jesus in that way. Let me see what I can get from this dude. And he wants a miracle for his son. Quite honestly, he's not interested in repentance. He's not interested in salvation. He's not interested in learning more about, you know, I've heard about you. I heard about what you've been doing. Who who are you? Honestly, I just need a miracle. And you're the only person that can help me. So that was just the introduction. Um, Now on to the sermon. So three headings. First is the desperate situation. And we have in verse 46... So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Now, we don't know this man's name, okay? But judging from his occupation, we know that he was a man of high stature. He was a very important man. He was a royal official, a member of Herod's administration. He would... would, be a man of, of great influence, a man of great wealth, a man who, have, who would have many servants. Verse 47, when the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. Now, Capernaum is 20 miles away from Cana. So maybe he walked there. He was a man of high stature. Maybe he rode there on, I don't know, a donkey or a horse or something. But he went 20 miles to go see Jesus. When this man heard that Jesus was near him, he left his son's deathbed and he headed to Galilee. He heard of the miracle that Jesus did last time he was in Galilee. So he comes in dire need of a miracle himself. This man is used to being in charge. This man is used to flexing his political power. He's used to getting his way. But now he sits helpless as his son is literally dying right before his eyes. I want you to grasp what this man is feeling right now. His son is dying. He's used to getting things done himself. But now he's just a mere spectator as his son's rapid decline of his health. And he knows if something doesn't happen immediately, he's going to die. This man is in a desperate situation. He knows that his son is in in need of a miracle. Distance did not matter with this man. It didn't matter that, that Jesus was 20 miles away. And let's also note that this man probably had access to the best medical attention at the time. He probably had doctors coming in and and checking on this boy. But no matter 
how many folk medicines were used or magical practices that were put on the kid, nothing seemed to work. This is so common now. In these days, this scenario happens so many times. Here is a wealthy man. Here is a self-made man. He had it all. And quite frankly, he had no interest in God. He had no time for God. He was too busy being successful in life. But in an instant, a crisis hits what's most dear to his heart. And suddenly he realizes that he's not in control as he once thought he was. He's just like us. We think at times we have everything in control. That life is going grand. Life is going real sweet. We start to stray away from God a little bit. And, and then a tragedy occurs. And then something happens in your life that rocks your entire world. And watch how quickly you run through those doors. Watch how quickly you are to be the first person to come up and raise your hand. That's this man right here. This man came to Jesus and asked him probably in a sincere tone of voice, would you please come down and heal my son? Would you please just touch his forehead and make his fever go away? Have you ever been to that point of desperation? Have you ever been in that point of need? I was there. I was there four years ago. I was there and I walked into a hospital thinking that everything was a okay. 